Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How is everybody today? I think I heard you all say good. It's resounding. Awesome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California. And that means that we can get to you. By, by getting to you, I mean I've got somebody almost in every, well, not every county in California, but, you know, if we're not in, in the county near, near you, we're two or three counties away, so we can get to you. That's, that's what I mean by that. And uh, we're here to help. We're definitely here to help. We are a full-service paranormal team, meaning we have uh, psychics on our team as well as uh, people that can do cleansings and shamans and things like that. And we also have, what, what I, I don't like to call them debunkers, but the brains of the team. I call them the brains, the brain consortium. Those are the one the guys that come in and look at your wiring and look at what you know, whatever natural things they think might be uh, causing your issues. So we look at all that. Because if you don't get a group that does that, it's a disservice. It really is. Anyhow, you can find us here on Facebook. Um, you can find us over at TikTok. You can find me at Instagram. And those addresses are I am Ghosty Girl at Instagram. We are California Haunts, all lowercase on TikTok. We're also Cal Haunts on Twitter. And we're California Haunts on Facebook. We have several pages there, as well as my own personal page. So you can get a hold of us there. We're easy to get hold of. And if you Google us, you might even find my phone number out there somewhere. I do get phone calls occasionally. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody tonight. Uh, we've got a great guest. He's been with us before. And it being Halloween and all, you know, uh, now now's the time when we talk about creepy, creepy things. And a lot of those things involve vampires. So maybe he can talk to us a little bit about vampires. That's why... I thought talking about shapeshifters tonight would be kind of cool. Because there are a lot of different types of shapeshifters. Not only vampires, but shapeshifters. But he's been with us before, and uh, I'll let him tell you about himself. His name is John Kachuva. So let me bring him in. Oh yeah, see I keep forgetting that too. If you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, be sure to follow. If you're watching from YouTube, uh, be sure to click on that little ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. That will subscribe you to our more than 450 videos. And there's different topics on there. So I think there's something for everybody. Okay, now I'm going to bring it in. <laughs> Good evening, sir. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How have you been? I've, I've been good. Enjoying a beautiful fall weather here in Ohio. Um, so, yeah, doing great. Fantastic. What's new with you? Well, actually, funny you should ask. <laughs> I know you want to talk about shapeshifters and that. But whatever course, you have to talk about, I'm, I'm an open book. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I like open books. That's what I write, open books. So, you know. Yeah, see? Um, but, you know, Shapeshifters uh, was my latest book that came out in 2019. Uh -huh. And uh, it's still doing pretty well. I'm still talking a lot about that. But I actually have a new book that's coming out uh, next year. So you're one of the first people to actually hear about it. So, okay. um, and what's really interesting for me is that it's a, a book for kids. It's a, it's still a paranormal book, mm -hmm. but it's based for like uh, middle grade kids from maybe 10 to 13 years old, something like those lines. Uh, but I've always wanted to write a book for kids. Um, so it's the first one in a series and it's called Haycorn Smith. That's the character's name. Acorn Smith and the Castle Ghost. And what I'm doing in this series, this is the first and what I hope will be a series, is that the locations that I use are actual haunted locations uh, that people can actually, you know, really go to and check out for themselves. So um, it's not just fiction, it's fiction based on reality. Uh, so this one takes place in Loveland, Ohio, which is uh, not too far from Cincinnati where I live. And I lived in Loveland for a while. And Loveland has, it's a small town, but it has a unique um, 
sort of history about it in that there's a castle in Loveland. Uh, it's, it's called Chateau La Roche, sometimes called Loveland Castle, mm-hmm. that was single-handedly built by one man, Harry Andrews. It's on the edge of a river, and he literally dragged rocks out of the river and then started also making his own bricks out of using the old-style wax milk cartons and using them as molds to make bricks. So anyway, he built this fantastic Norman castle. It's like one quarter scale. And he lived there all his life and he worked on it till the day he died. Um, And it's haunted. (laughs) It's haunted by Harry himself, Harry Andrews, the builder. Uh, But even when Harry was building it, he talked about seeing ghosts in the area on the riverbank and all that kind of stuff. So it's got a nice haunted history. And that's where the book is set. And, and, uh, you know, I don't want to give the whole story away, obviously, but right, um, right. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun, I think, just for kids to read that. And like I said, they can go to the place and check it out. It's open to the public, you know. I was going to say, I've heard of that place. You may have. I mean, it's 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 gotten a lot of press over the years. Harry, I'm trying to think when Harry passed away, he he lived in the castle and he worked on it literally till the day he died. And when he, he was probably well into his 70s, maybe even later, maybe even older, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But actually, he died in, in a sort of a tragic accident. He was actually working on the castle, and he was working with hot pitch, like on the roof, tarring some of the roof or whatever. And it actually um, somehow caught fire to his pants, and, wow. and he burned. Uh, it was a terrible accident. But up until that day, he was he was working there. And so he had worked on that castle. I think he he probably started it back in the – maybe 1970s or so. So for a long time. And it's, you know, people from all around the world had visited and he got a lot of press. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure you would have heard about it. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a great book. I'll have to look out for it. Oh yeah. Well, believe me, you'll, you'll know about it when it comes out. Actually, I have a, I have a new Facebook page. I have my own Facebook page, John Kachuba, okay. but now I have one John B. Kachuba author. And I'm putting all my sort of book posts up there. So I'm already starting to put some stuff up about Loveland Castle, including a link to their website, to their website which is lovelandcastle.com. And they have some videos. I, you know, it's just a, it's a cool place. I, I visited there many times when I lived there. And it's just, uh, yeah, people get married there. It's a wedding venue and everything else. But it's just really very awesome. <laughs> How cool. See, my dad grew up in Ohio. Is that right? Whereabouts? Uh, Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. So well, it's the other, other corner Ohio. of the state. Yeah, yeah, I've been back to Ohio several times. Several times. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yep. Well, you know, and especially, I loved the uh, fireflies in the summer. Oh, yeah. Chasing fireflies. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right in my backyard, I watched the fireflies. Yeah, we don't get those out here. I have fake ones. No, really? Yeah, we don't get them out here. Oh, okay. Surprised. I had five fake ones, you know, but I still get them. I put them in anyway. <laughs> Okay. So we're being Halloween like it is. Uh, you know, there have been some there have been some famous shapeshifters over the centuries. And one yes. being Dracula, you know, like, like Dracula being the vampire. What 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 makes vampires so scary? Why are they so scary? Yeah. I don't know. I mean I think I think because one reason might be is they're not your typical sort of monster that you can readily identify, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the movies and you see a werewolf, I mean, you know a werewolf when you see one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some kind of an alien from the space planet or something, you know, out of space or whatever. But there's, there's certain monster types. You know what a ghost looks like. Um, but vampires, you know, are, are sort of insidious. I mean, you don't really, you don't really know what a vampire is until maybe, you know, he shows you his, his fangs, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or drinks a pint of your blood. But, but I, I think I think that sort of dual nature, that, that shape-shifting nature where they're like us for practical purposes um, until they, you know, until they turn, uh, so to speak. I think that's what makes them kind of scary characters and makes them so popular in movies and novels and, you know, things like that. I just find it interesting because, you know, the legends go way, 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 way back on this, you know, from like... Yeah. You know, all those years back, and there's, there's, I mean, even the graves, people find these graves where they had even put a stake through somebody's heart or, or they put the metal up on, on some of those graves to, to keep whatever, you know, 
had to be in there, in there. Right, right. They're still going yeah. on to D in some places. Yeah, they found them with, you know, literally metal cages underground, you know, over the coffin and everything else. But, and you know, the the thing is, um, we when we think of vampires here in America, you know, we think of Bela Lugosi, right. you know, and all the Dracula people after him. Uh, right. What was the Christopher? I can't think of the other guy's name. Um, anyway, excuse me now, but all these famous actors that have played vampires. Or we think Twilight. of Bram Stoker's book, Dracula. Who's that? Twilight. Yeah, well, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we have this we have this sort of idea what a vampire looks like and what it is. Right. But what I found in my research when I was writing shapeshifters is that there are vampire creatures, and I'll say creatures because they're not necessarily always sort of human, um, in almost you know, so many cultures around the world. Um, and so they have a different take on them some, sometimes than what they look like and everything else. But the basic premise is still there's sort of the, um, I don't want to say the living dead. We think of zombies kind of when you talk like right, that. Right. But, but you know, they, they uh, essentially prey on human beings. And if they don't actually take their blood, as they do in a lot of the Western, uh, you know, movies and books here in, our, in right. the Western world, um, they will at least take your life force. They'll they'll somehow drain your vitality, drain you away, and eventually you'll you know, you'll die or become one of them. And that's a pretty common motif in uh, cultures all around the world that have some kind of a, a vampire animal or or person or being. You know. Well, you know when you talk about that, you know the vampire being. I mean, the first vampire that was ever on film did not look like Bela Lugosi. Or Christopher Lee, or the Twilight Vampires. It was Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah right. And I'll tell you, if, if people in your audience have not seen Nosferatu, they they've got to see it. And it's it's on the internet. You can just put a Nosferatu, oh, yeah, and you can see movie. it. It's a it's an awesome movie. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. And you're right. And you know, you mentioned Twilight before. Right. And if you compare Count Orloff who in Nosferatu with like some of the characters from Twilight worlds apart. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Twilight vampires are all, you know, they're gorgeous. They're sexy. They're rich. They're educated. You know, they're very sophisticated, you know, they lavish dinner parties and they drive hot cars and, you know, whatever. Um, That's not Count Orloff at all. I mean, he's creepy. You know, he's a creepy looking dude. (laughs) But now for people that don't know, where the legend of Dracula came from. Could you give him some background on that? Because I mean, Dracula was a real person. Yeah. Right. So when I was doing shapeshifters, um, I did a lot of research abroad. I was in France, uh, Portugal. I was in Belarus of all places in Ukraine. I mean, two places that are tough shape right now, especially Ukraine. Um, but I was also in Romania. And, uh, when, when we think of, um, vampires here again in, Western culture, it really begins for the most part in terms of popularity with Bram Stoker, with his novel, Dracula. I mean, certainly there are vampire legends and stories long before that. That's where he got most of his, but they weren't that popular until Stoker's novel. And suddenly everybody's, you know, listening about vampires. Um, Stoker, it's believed that Stoker based his Count Dracula on a Romanian uh, prince in the 16th century named Vlad. Um, and, and the last name depends on who you talk to, but uh, it could be Vlad Tepesh or Vlad Dracul, D-R-A-C-U-L, mm-hmm. uh, which people say can be translated as devil or dragon. But this guy, you know, he was a, a medieval prince in um, Wallachia, which is a, a province of Romania, and he was he was pretty brutal. Um, he was known for they called him Vlad the Impaler, because he was known for impaling his enemies. You know, whether they're foreign soldiers or people who are conspiring against him or whatever political people, but he would impale them on a post, just you know, right up there, <laughs> and uh, horrible. There was there's a story that the the Turks were invading. That and it really wasn't Romania in those days. We'll just say Wallachia, which was his province. 
but the Turks were invading. And so to keep them out, he had captured a, a previous Turkish army or something, and he impaled all these soldiers, something like 10,000. And he literally had them, <clears throat> literally had them lining the highway, the road that the new Turkish invading army was going to take. And apparently when they got up there and they saw all their fellow soldiers impaled on these posts all the whole length, you know, they just turned around and said, you know, let's rethink this invasion. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to do this after all. So he was, he was ruthless in that regard, bloodthirsty. But I really think for all practical purposes, he probably wasn't much different than a lot of medieval rulers of his time. I mean, they were all pretty ruthless. You know, they, they fought each other constantly and they, they did it brutally. Um, but legends grew up about him because he was so horrible, I guess. Legends grew up about him that perhaps he was a vampire. Um, and so it's hard to tell where Stoker, you know, Stoker never went to Romania. So even the locations he has, like the castle that Dracula lives in, in the novel, looks like it was modeled on a castle in Bran, Romania, called Bran Castle. Um, and he was never there. He saw photos of it, you know, and all that, but he was never in Romania. Um, but so people think that a lot of his information for the Dracula vampire, Count Dracula, is mm -hmm. sort of based, you know, loosely with a lot of um, literary uh, uh, embellishment, I guess, on Vlad, Vlad Tepes. Right. right. So when I was there, when I was in Romania, I went to the house where um, Vlad was born in uh, I can't think, uh, uh, the town is Sigiswara. And the town, the house is there where he was born. It's now a restaurant. So you can go in there and eat <laughs> in the house that he was born in, which I did. Mm -hmm. uh, I also went to the ruins of one of his uh, castles in Targoviste. And there's a tower that's still left. And it was said that from that tower, Vlad would look down on the executions. He'd climb up there and he'd watch the executions in the plaza below the tower. Um, and I also went to the place where he was reported, uh, reportedly buried. And it's a little tiny monastery, a little tiny monastery on an island that is probably not much more than maybe two acres. And it's in the middle of this lake in the town called Snagov in Romania. And it's a causeway. You can walk out to the island and you can go into this little chapel. Um, so I did. And his tomb is, it's not even a tomb. It's just literally a grave in the ground. It's a flat stone laying in the ground. And it's right at the altar of this chapel. And supposedly he's buried there. But the interesting thing was that back in the 1930s, I think it was, there were some archaeologists that um, opened the grave to see what, you know, see if he was there or anything else. And they opened the grave and it was empty. There, was, there wasn't anything in there. So... That, too, brings out the legend, like, well, if he was a vampire, he's not going to be there. He's, <laughs> he's still wandering around someplace, you know. So um, nobody knows for sure. They don't even know how Vlad died. Uh, it was said that he was killed by, killed by some of his own men, uh, killed by soldiers in battle. Um, but nobody knows, and nobody knows for sure. At one point, something was buried in that chapel, and people said it was Vlad, but Mm -hmm. He's not there now. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> we don't know where he is. He I might remember. Be, he might be in the studio right now. <laughs> I know. He's standing over my shoulder. I don't know. Hey, he could be. Hey, my dad was Hungarian. We'll just go with that, you know. I yeah. remember eight years old being over in Hungary. And the, the Romanian border wasn't that far away from where we were staying. That's right. And yeah. my sister and my brother-in-law, I grew up on watching Creature Features as a kid, you know. Yeah, sure. All those movies. And my father would sit there and he would go, you know, we're only 10 miles away from, from Dracula's castle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I knew I was, I, I was aware enough to know, Hey, yeah, we're in a foreign, foreign country. And I freaked out. <laughs> right. And that, that's how that stuff follows you as you grow up. Yeah. You know? So all those, all those sites now are, you know, it's Transylvania, which is part of Romania. Uh, but the interesting thing is that, you know, you'd say you're a Hungarian descent, 
there are a lot of Hungarians in Romania, in Transylvania, uh, and they still speak Hungarian. They pretty much live in their own villages. And there's kind of this um, kind of a split between native Romanians and Hungarians in Romania. There's, there's some hard feelings between them, mainly because at one point that was part of Hungary uh, mm -hmm. and Romania took it. Uh, and so there's there's some prejudice now and everything, and it's um, it's it's not it's not good. We uh, the church that I go to here in Cincinnati has a partner church in Transylvania, and uh, in a small village, and the people there are all Hungarian, and you know there's there's not a lot of love loss for the Romanian government and right. vice versa. There's some discrimination against Hungarians, uh, pretty much. But the interesting thing is because of that depending on who you talk to, if you talk to native Romanians, mm -hmm. uh, most of them will talk about Vlad, you know, Prince Vlad, mm -hmm. uh, not as a monster, but as, as a national hero, because he did defeat so many other armies that were trying to invade that region over mm -hmm. the years, Turks, Mongols, whatever, he defeated them all. So he's like a national hero. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to the Hungarians who are in Romania, they, he, he wasn't because he didn't treat them very well. So they consider him, you know, not a nice guy. Right. I don't know if they say he's a vampire, but they don't, you know, they're not fond of him at all. Right. The other thing too, um, what people don't realize is, 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 is Bela Lugosi was Hungarian. Right. And he spoke very little English. Right. And you look at the, because you've been over there, so obviously you've seen difference in languages. If you look at the different things in the Dracula movies, it's all in Hungarian. All the stores, all the signs are in Hungarian. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll have to look at some of the old ones. I, I, I can't say that I paid attention to that. Yeah, I didn't even notice until I, until I was much old, until I was much older watching the movies. But I went, oh, that's that's interesting. Hungarian. You know, so it's, I'll, it's I'll interesting. I'll that. Yeah. Because yeah, he spoke very little English. You know, Bela Lugosi was buried in his full Dracula outfit when he died. Did you know that? He the loved whole, it. The cape, yep. the, the medal, the medallion, the sash, the whole bit. Yeah. What I find interesting is how these legends, you know, with very little communication back, you know, back way back then, how mm -hmm. these legends would spread or how, how communities had their own version of these legends. You yeah. know, like you'd have, you have the vampire legends, say, I'm going to say Transylvania, but then you could go to Peru and they have their own legends uh, of these things. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. All these different cultures have, you know, have different stories. And, and that's something that I that I found to be universal when I was doing research for the Shapeshifters book, in the sense that almost every culture had some kind of a shapeshifter character, whether it was a vampire or something else. But that was kind of a universal figure um, almost everywhere. And it goes way back. Um, you know, I have in my my book, I have a drawing, a, a photo of a drawing of a cave painting in France that goes back to the Neolithic times. So we're talking about, you know, prehistory, right? Yeah. And the the drawing looks like um, a, a man deer, a deer man. It's like a guy, it's like an animal standing on its hind legs with its arms up. Um, but instead of having hooves like a deer, it clearly has fingers and toes. Mm -hmm. It's got antlers. Uh, yet the eyes are forward like ours instead of being on you know the side of the head right. like like deer. So what a lot of anthropologists believe is that this is a drawing of a shaman transforming himself into a deer. Not you know whether he did or not, but mm -hmm. you know they believe they did. Right. And so it goes back that that far, you know, before written history. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you don't know how these things spread, but it's interesting that every culture has something like that. Well, look at the Native Americans; they have they have legends of that. Sure. You know, oh there's yeah. Paintings of that, and there's 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 illustrations of that of that. Right, right. In the Southwest, you know, they have the Skinwalker, which is uh, you know considered a shapeshifter. The the Wendigo up in sort of the central. Actually, mm -hmm. northern, central, kind of Midwest area, and up into Canada, people consider that to be a shapeshifter. Even even the legend, you know, uh, Coyote is a very common is a trickster, right? Almost mm -hmm. every almost every tribe 
in America recognizes that, but he's also a shapeshifter, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just incredible how widespread it was. It, that really floored me to be honest, because I didn't know what to expect when I was doing this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I think of, as I say, different countries and different cultures, if you look at the sheer number of shapeshifters in terms of different types, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think there's something to it? I mean, because, you know, there's all these stories. And I mean, you, you think it's just people, t- you know, telling campfire stories? Or do you think they're back in the, you know, back in the days or even now there's, there, these things might exist? Well, I, I don't think that people can, you know, physically transform into another animal or, or another person or even into some inanimate object like some shapeshifters can do. Sure. But I but I do think and in my book I talk about <clears throat> I talk about external and internal shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. When I talk about external, I mean the typical like a werewolf, you know, sure. where suddenly instead of being light like you grow this and you grow it all over. <laughs> you know, and they get fangs and they get claws and you know and you can see that change. That's external. But Internal shapeshifters, I think, are shapeshifters that have more a mental shift than anything else. They don't they don't change physically, but they may believe that they have transformed into something else. And sometimes that's a disease state. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lycanthropy where people actually believe that they've changed into uh, wolves, right. and they haven't. But they will act out like wolves. They'll run around on all fours. They'll growl at people. They'll snap. They'll, you know, they'll think they'll, they'll tear at their own flesh. I mean, they think they have been turned into wolves, and they haven't been. Mm-hmm. But then there's just other people, I think, who who just have that sort of ability to um, to believe that they've transformed. Think of shamans, like in indigenous in indigenous peoples today. Right. Uh, in the book, I talk about, um, among among others, I talk about some of the uh, Bushmen, the Kalahari in Africa, the Bushmen. Mm-hmm. And I have some accounts there, some interviews. I didn't take the interviews, but some other people had them and I recorded them, where these guys would say that, you know, I yes, I have transformed into a lion or a cheetah or a tiger or whatever it might be. And yet people around them, won't see that they don't they don't see the guy suddenly grow hair and, and claws and fur right. you know right. but he'll act out and he'll even say i can feel the tiger in me i can feel the lion in me this kind of stuff mm-hmm. i was just thinking as you were saying that too when you talk about disease um there's countries where and, and this happened with and i hate to bring it up but the circus side shows and they actually had the, what they call him, the wolf boy? Is that, is that, that, that was he was called, or, or, or the lion boy? Yeah. But they yeah. had some kind of disease. Right. That, that made them grow facial hair and, and all that kind of hair. Right. So, I mean, it could stem from stuff like that as well, you know, where people well, are afraid of it. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think I think some of the early stories about werewolves or other kind of shapeshifters mm-hmm. stems from some of that kind of stuff. You know, disease state that people didn't already understand what it was about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they see this poor kid or, or adult or whatever covered with hair, you know, they think, okay, something, you know, <laughs> he's got to be a wolf. Well, no. Um, and obviously some people would have suffered consequences of, mm-hmm. of a disease. People, you know, other people reacting to them poorly, thinking that they're possessed or something else like that. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's no, no. true. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look at the look at the Salem witch trials. I mean, that's a perfect example of hysteria going, you know, of hysteria because I mean, if the woman was just slightly different, did different things, worked with herbs or whatever, she was a witch. Right. Well, in my book, I have a great example of um, vampire hysteria, and it occurred right here in America, and it was like the uh, late eighteen nineties with uh, Mercy Brown, who lived in Exeter, Rhode Island. And Mercy was a 19-year-old girl. Um, her mother had some kind of a wasting away illness and died. Her sister had the same kind of disease and died. Her brother uh, became very ill. And after seeing his mother and sister pass away, the local doctors said, you know, you need to go out west 
get the fresh air in the mountains that'll that'll cure you. So he went out to Colorado. This is like this is like 1890 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mercy Mercy Brown was still back at home. Um, her brother didn't get much better at all. In fact, he didn't get better. So he, after a couple, after maybe a year or so in Colorado, he decided, well, I'm going to go back to Rhode Island. So he goes back to Rhode Island and uh, he dies. And so, well, sorry, he doesn't die. <laughs> he's, he's sick. But Mercy, the, his only surviving sibling, who is now 19 years old, she gets sick and she dies. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, and, and it's still unclear to me how this happens, but people thought, well, boy, her mother died, her sister died, her brother is dying. It was often this wasting away disease, and Mercy did too. Somehow, they came to the conclusion that Mercy was a vampire, and that she had caused her mother's death, her sister's death, and that now she was killing her brother, even though she was dead mm-hmm. in her grave. So the authorities... This this is amazing because it was actually written up in the Providence Journal, which is the local newspaper. It's still the same newspaper up there. And this is all a true story. The authorities dug up her grave and they they cut out her heart um, and they burned it. They burned it down to ashes and they mixed the ashes in some kind of a medicinal potion. And they gave that to the brother thinking this is going to cure you. you know, well, it, it didn't. Um, but this created this hysteria that, oh, my God, there's vampires among us. Now, what, what the family members died from was tuberculosis, you know, which is a very, very slow wasting. They called it consumption in those days. Okay. But you literally would just waste away. You get thinner and thinner and, you, just, you know, you, no energy, everything. You just, you just really fade out, which was the way it was with vampires. Mm-hmm. So people were starting to think it was the vampires. And all around New England, next thing you know, People are, are getting sick, and so they're, they're desecrating cemeteries, digging up corpses, thinking this is a vampire, and, you know, putting stakes through them, the whole bit. Um, it, finally, I don't even know how it ended, but, you know, finally cooler heads prevailed, and they realized that they were <laughs> all off in a little bit of a delirious rage here. So other family members started when when somebody died, they'd pour like you know twenty five yards of concrete over the grave and everything, so that nobody could dig it up. And, all. and it was just crazy. And this was Mercy died in eighteen ninety two, I think. That's not really all that long ago, you know. And that's in America where we like to think that, yeah, we're so enlightened and so intelligent and you know whatever. Not necessarily. Wow. Let's talk about skinwalkers a little bit because there's still sightings of these things. You know, trucker will be driving down the road, you know, late at night, and he'll look over and you know, there's what they think is a skinwalker. Let's talk about yeah, yeah. Well, there's not. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of sightings, and and most of most of the time it's in the Southwest. You know, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, that area primarily is where you see it. And most of the native uh, nations that are out there, like the Utes, the Navajo, uh, the Diné, as they call themselves, um, don't like to talk about shapeshifters because they believe that they're real and they don't want to be, you know, bringing anything down on them. So they don't even want to talk about it. Like, now, if I don't talk about it, then nothing will happen to me. But if I do, if I mention it, they'll come after me. So they have that kind of a belief. Um, but yet there are, like you say, there's truckers or people just driving out on these long desert highways in the middle of the night, you know, total darkness, nothing but stars. You know? And all of a sudden they'll see something, usually canine, some kind of a wolf or something just like just loping along beside the truck. And the truck might be doing like 80 miles an hour and so is that wolf. Um, and people have had experiences saying that they've seen these things. Sometimes like try to attack a car or something, or um, or some people have even said they've seen they they've seen it close enough that they think it's not a canine that it looks strangely off somehow, like human in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, what the native people believe is that the uh, the shapeshifter is basically well, what the Diné would call a bruja, a witch, mm-hmm. um, with the ability to change into this thing and and. What it does is its its whole its whole um, reason to be 
is is malice. <laughs> I mean, it's an evil creature, mm-hmm. and usually it's done. It, it transforms to enact vengeance on somebody or something like that. So it's you know it's 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 not a nice creature. Uh, but like I say, it's it's hard to get a lot of real stories about it because most of the people that experience it or or think they have they don't want to talk about it. But it's it's a figure that's been around for a long time in those cultures. So. What is the difference between a skinwalker and a wendigo? Well, a, a wendigo, um, a lot of it depends. It depends on what nation you're talking about. Like okay. the, the Cree have one way of looking at it, and some some of the other nations have different ways of looking at it. But essentially, they think that a wendigo is a formerly a human being that's been that's been cursed and frequently it's been cursed because it's a suicide it's somebody that has killed themselves um and that's you know just like in some religions you know suicide is a horrible thing and you burn in hell and all that kind of stuff some native people feel sort of the same way that if you're a suicide that's an evil thing to do and so you turn into this thing most windigos have this um they're they're not only shapeshifters but a lot of them are cannibals and they have this insatiable appetite mm-hmm. where they, 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 they're always hungry. They're always hungry. And so a lot of the depictions of a Wendigo is this horribly emaciated kind of creature, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but horrible and a killer. <laughs> so like I say, it depends on, on wh- who you're talking to because there's a lot of different stories about them and, and different variations on what they are and, what they do and all that kind of stuff. I just find it interesting, all, you know, all these legends. And in, in, in your research and looking at this stuff all over the world, which which shapeshifter stands out the most to you? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I'm sort of a traditionalist. I, I kind of like the werewolf. Okay. And, and I think what I like about that is that I, th- I think part of why we have a werewolf, if you want to call it that, having one, mm-hmm. is because, you know, mankind's relations with animals goes back a long time, right? But what's the very first animal that humanity is able to domesticate and has been with us forever is the dog, right? right? It's a canine. And a wolf, obviously, is not 100% dog, but it's canine. And, and our modern dog does come from whatever wolves are genetically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's some, there's some almost, um, I don't want to say mystical or magical, but I think there's some real connections sort of between canines and humans. And I think that's maybe what makes the werewolf so interesting. Um, you know, we have, we have animal nature and a human nature, right? Every human being is, whether we like it or not, we have an animal nature and we have animal instinct. Uh, usually our higher reason and everything else overrides that, but not always. And so I have, a, I kind of think that if we had our choice, if we can voluntarily change into something, that a lot of us would become a dog, <laughs> become a werewolf. I got a dog. I, she has a great life. I wouldn't mind changing my life with her, you know. That's <laughs> so. funny. That's funny. Um, when you think about these legends, and you know, and and, and, and there's the other thing too is you you have your native your Native American legends. I hate when it does that. Updates. Uh, you have your Native American legends, and those rub off onto other folks as well. That's what I find so interesting about this. Like when we talk about the Skinwalker. You know, these other people are seeing them. So I just find it interesting, like we talked about earlier, how that stuff gets passed along. Right, right. Yeah, and I think I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if many of the people that talk about having a skinwalker experience um, are not Native, you know, because, like I said, a lot of them don't want to talk about that. So, And you mentioned, like, you know, a trucker or something going down the highway. It's right. a, you know, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and stories spread. I mean, they certainly do spread, right? Not just among, you know, neighbors and whatever, but but from culture to culture. And and I, and I do find 
in my research, there were some similarities, not just the fact that everybody has a, a shapeshifter, but, you know, there are some actual similarities between something in France and something in Romania or something. So, right. you know, stories certainly travel. Yeah, oh, you think about, when you think about the werewolf and the skin rock, you know, skinwalker. I mean, there's similarities there because, you know, the werewolf was a man that turned into, you know, turned into this wolf and the skinwalker, you know, tends to be look, look kind of human in a weird sort of way. Yeah. And I think when they talk about um, the transformation of a skinwalker, I think more often than not, you hear it being transformed into a canine, like, you know, right. a coyote or a wolf or something like that. So, yeah. Well, we hear about, you know, I call those the big four, you know, the vampires, werewolves, skinwalkers, bandigos. What other ones are out there that maybe nobody's heard about? Well, there's all kinds of names for for them, you know. Um, I mean, you're right in the sense that there's, there's a lot of vampiric type of right. creatures. They may not be called vampires. I mean, you know, in Africa or something, they have a different word for them, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, it's uh, frequently a, like a shaman or a wizard or whatever medicine man, whatever they might call it, that has that ability or people say has that ability to change into something, you know. And frequently it is, well, like in Africa, for instance, it's not uncommon for uh, vampires to be in the form of a bat because they've got some, they've got some big bats, <laughs> you know, not like we have. They've got some major bats in Africa. Um and so, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, but there's all kinds of things. Like Japan, when I, when I started doing some research on Japan, I, I was blown away. I had done a lot of research on Japanese ghosts because, you know, as you know, I've written five books about ghosts. Mm -hmm. And that's how all this stuff, paranormal stuff started there. And the Japanese have a fantastic ghost culture because unlike us, you know, we have we say, okay, a ghost is a spirit of somebody that passed away, mm -hmm. and it's hanging around for whatever reason. And you know, most of the time, it's not evil, but yeah, maybe it could be bad. You know, but the Japanese have these have ghosts that, uh, when the ghosts come back, they they can be some of them can be shapeshifters. So they have ghosts that actually shapeshift. So. We, we don't have that in our culture. A ghost is a ghost, right? In right. their culture, you have a ghost that can, there when it, it can, <laughs> can be a ghost, and then it could change. It could shape shift into, you know, uh, if it's a if it's a female ghost, it can change into another woman or it can change into a guy. It doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. And frequently, what you hear in Japanese uh, ghost stories is a lot of stories about revenge. Frequently, it's like, you know, a jilted lover or an affair or something and somebody gets killed. And so the ghosts come back to you know, seek vengeance. And so when they do that, they come back and they'll shapeshift into a different person to hide what they're about. But so so I found that in the ghost culture. And then I just realized that Jap the Japanese have a ton of shapeshifters that aren't necessarily ghosts, but just shapeshifters. They have something called a... a um, I can remember a uh, kitsune, which is sort of like a uh, like a fox, mm -hmm. kind of like a fox. Uh, in fact, a lot of them have seven tails, seven tailed foxes. Which is okay, <laughs> if you say so. But the kitsune is one that uh, is a fox, and in a lot of ways, I think of that as sort of like our, our Native American coyote, you know, kind of shapeshifter, trickster kind of figure. So they have that in their in their legends, and he can transform into anything. There's something called a uh, let's see, Kitsune and a t I might get the name wrong without looking at it, but Tanaka or Tanuki. I'm not sure. And this is actually looks sort of like a raccoon, but like a kind of like a dog and a raccoon. It's got kind of a bushy tail, ring tail like a raccoon. That's an actual animal in Japan. It's a real animal, but they also believe that this animal is capable of being a shapeshifter and can shapeshift into anything else. Um, there's something called a kappa, which looks like, looks like a demented Kermit the Frog is what it looks like. <laughs> it's, a, it's an aquatic creature, and it looks kind of frog-like. Um, 
but its head has a depression in the head. And in that depression, there's always water laying in there. It's like a little, so it's like a little bowl on top of its, built into his head and it's got water all the time. And as long as the kappa has water in there, he's okay. If, if the water is, spills out or something else, he's in, he's in trouble. But the kappas are, they're, they're shapeshifters. They can change into anything. Again, this is all, this is all Japanese lore. You know? They can change into anything, but they, they are all, and they have sort of a strange personality because sometimes they're very helpful to people and they'll do great things for them, you know, favors. Other times they'll, they'll just murder them and eat them. <laughs> so, so you got your choice if you meet one, you know, he may give you a favor or he may eat you. You, you don't know, you know, so, but, but those are just some names. I mean, that's what I found, you know, um, in, in uh, Eastern Europe, there was uh, females called Rosalka. And these are basically their young women um, that had committed suicide. So first thing is that to be suicide. And it may be like, you know, maybe they had an unwanted pregnancy or it's always some kind of a love story, unwanted pregnancy or a boyfriend left them or something like that. And so they commit suicide. And once they do that, again, it's this kind of suicide thing being a curse. They're called Rosalka. And for the most part, they're in water and they'll stay in water. But in the spring, they come out and they'll be in the woods and along the, you know, along the rivers and stuff. And they, uh, they sing and they, they entice young men and kill them. (laughs) So, so there you go. (laughs) So anyway, a long story short, I mean, this was the thing, Charlotte, as I was doing the book, I was finding, you know, hundreds of these kinds of shapeshifters. And so, yes, different names. Yeah. I, I mean, just for werewolves alone, there's probably 50 or 60 names that I came up with, you know, around the world. So, Were you able to find anybody to talk to about these things or, or were people kind of closed mouth about it? No, I think there were people that would talk about it. Um, I, I used a lot of uh, primary sources first do mm-hmm. some research. Like one of the books I used was written in the 17th century and it was written by a monk who, I don't know who gave him the, the order, but he was charged with going around uh, France particularly and investigating stories of ghosts, werewolves, vampires, anything weird. And he, he went and investigated. So he would talk to people um, he would get records of, you know, trial records if there was a, a court hearing for somebody accused of witchcraft or accused of being a, a vampire or something. Um, so that was an important source. So I used a lot of those early sources like that, original sources. But then as I was doing research and traveling around the country, yeah, I was talking to people who uh, had stories that, you know, oh, yeah, my, my grandmother used to tell me about whatever. Um, but I also talked to some people who were – were scholars, academics who had done some work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Portugal, I talked to um, a, a woman, a professor who had written many books and papers about um, muras encantadas, which were women who um, were shapeshifters and usually would shapeshift into the form of a snake. And this was in Portuguese legend and anything. So, so yeah, I mean, it was not hard to find people to talk to. In France, there's a museum uh, for the Beast of Gévaudan, which was this werewolf kind of creature that ravaged southern France for about three years and killed like mm-hmm. over 100 people. And there's a museum dedicated to that, so you can talk to the people that run the museum and everything else. So, yeah, it was, it was easy to get, you know, stories and stuff. How long did it take you to do the research? Well, um, the preliminary research before traveling was probably close to a year, just reading all these books and texts and finding that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then the travel itself um, was maybe about three months through mostly Europe and talking to people. So, but maybe uh, maybe a year and a half total, something like that, to do the research. 
Now, like in the United States, depending, like you say, depending where you go, people see different things. What do you think is the most frequent shapeshifter seen in the U.S.? Um, I don't know. I mean, some people talk about, you know, Sasquatch uh, or Bigfoot, however you want to call about it. Some people think that that's a shapeshifter. Um, I, I don't know why they do think that because, you know, every story that I've ever heard about, about the creature seems to me that it's, uh, I think it's a cryptid. I think it's just some kind of a animal that we have overlooked, <laughs> you know, has been hidden from us for all these years. But some people do think that, but I think, um, we're also hearing stuff about dog men. Have you heard about that? No, let's hear about the dog men. Yeah, and it seems to be, again, kind of in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those areas primarily. But talking about people that uh, have a human form, mm -hmm. except that they have a, they have a dog head. And it, says, it sounds really funny, but there are stories about people saying that I've seen this thing and that they've seen it shift from like a human form to this dog-headed person. And I'm just thinking, it sounds like a strange story, but you look it up, Dogman, you'll find stuff, just go on the internet and you'll you'll right, find it. Right, right, right. Um, I'm thinking, I wonder, you know, if that happens, what do you, do you get your choice of dog? Because like, I wouldn't want to have a chihuahua head, you know? <laughs> I mean, a German Shepherd, a chihuahua, no. I, you know. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, I, um, I interviewed somebody about the uh, Beast of Bray Road. Oh, yeah. A couple months back. And when you were mm -hmm. talking about the dogman, that kind of brought that up, you know, uh, as, as, as far as seeing stuff. And I can see, I can kind of understand why people might think Sasquatch is a shapeshifter because it's kind of like a now you see it, now you don't. You know, people see it, yeah. and then, it, you know, it will disappear right in front of them or, or it seems to disappear because, I mean, the woods are the woods, right? So yeah. maybe that's why people are thinking that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it could be. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you also have... It's not just America, but you have a, a fair number of people around the world that believe that there are reptilian alien shapeshifters mm -hmm. among us, you know, and this whole this whole theory. Well, I, I don't want to call it a theory. Right. That's, that, that gives a little bit too much credence. This whole idea was started by a guy in England, David Icke, who has this whole story for it where he believes that millions of years ago some alien race came from some star nearby, came to Earth, mm -hmm. and that they mated with whatever kind of sort of proto-humans were running around at the time, you know, mm -hmm. Neanderthals, or I don't know, whatever they would have been, maybe even something not that developed. But that that genetic strain has been passed down to some people through millions and millions of years. So right. the theory is there are some people that can shapeshift into reptiles you know mm -hmm. um, and and his his idea is that some of the world's leaders are reptilian alien shapeshifters including the late queen elizabeth ii uh barack obama yeah. uh you know and some and other celebrities like you know musicians and athletes and things like this that some of them are shapeshifters so. mm -hmm. but there's an amazing number of people that that believe this. So that may be a very common shapeshifter, not just here, but, you know, worldwide. Right, right, right. right. What do you think is the common thread in all this? For me, I, I it's an interesting question because I, I was interested in sort of the, the psychology behind it all, mm -hmm. you know, like why is the shapeshifter character so common? Why is it such a favorite in every culture? And what I think, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything else, but I think that the shapeshifter calls to us in some ways because it allows us, I think, vicariously to be something other than what we are, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you have some shortcoming or you think you do, you, uh, you think, you know, Hey, I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not. I'm not whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, 
so many of us have some insecurity about something, right? Uh, the shapeshifter allows you to become something different. Some, and usually think of like, think of like a lot of the superheroes, mm-hmm. you know, like the Marvel and DC universe of superheroes. So many of them are everyday, ordinary people, right? Superman is Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter, Clark Kent, right? But then what happens? You know, he shapeshifts. He he literally, you know, he becomes something else, right? Um, and that's kind of a superhero. So that, to me, is an indication that if there's something sort of lacking, that the idea of a shapeshifter can, you know, sort of set that off for you. You can be something other than you, than you are. And, and we all, you know, we all do this. We all shapeshift, and I'll put that in quotes. We sort of shapeshift internally, right? Um, if I have to give this, okay, this is an example here, but it's not even as much as if I have to give an audience, uh, in-person talk to 200 people in a, a, you know, concert hall in London, mm-hmm. which I've done, you know. Um, when I go out there on the stage, I become something else. You know, I, I put on a different hat, which in a sense is shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm more of an actor. I'm more of a, you know, whatever, which is not how I am at home. Mm-hmm. So we all do this. There's different situations where we we know we have to act differently. We have to be something different mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, that's kind of shape-shifting. Halloween. Everybody right. dresses up for Halloween, right? Why, you know, you ask yourself, why do you pick that particular costume, whatever it is. What's that say about you? Right. Right. If you dress up as, as Superman all the time, to me, it says you want to be Superman. <laughs> He's your hero, man. You want to be Superman. Well, that means you want to be strong and you want to have X-ray vision and you want to be able to fly. Right. Um, if you dress up as an apple, you know, you got some other issues. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know what they are, but, you know, so, so I think it's the whole thing about shapeshifters. And I also think that um, not only do they sort of, and so in that way, a shapeshifter is, is a positive influence because if it gets you to step out of who you are to make yourself better, to literally force yourself to change, to be a better person, mm-hmm. even if it's only temporary, that's a good thing, right? At the same time, the converse is true where you know shapeshifters could be uh, a good excuse for bad behavior. You know, uh, you think of um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Uh novel. You know, I mean, here you had a guy who was a a doctor, a medical doctor, well-respected in his community, upstanding, honest, straight, straight arrow guy. Yet there was something in him that said, you know, I'd like to take a walk on the dark side. What would it be like if I didn't have to be this respectable guy? You know, if I could take my time off and just howl at the moon. And And he does that. To a bad effect, he ends up killing himself, you know, because he actually kills somebody as as Mister Hyde. So, you know, shape shifting can do that too. It can be an excuse for for bad behavior, mm-hmm. the animal nature in us. And again, I talked before about animal and human nature in all of us. So it's a mixed bag. But I think that's but I think that is really part of why it's such an attractive character and why why it's still around and why it says something to us because you know we can experience what the shapeshifter experiences vicariously mm-hmm. you can read a novel about a shapeshifter you can watch a movie about a shapeshifter you dress up as halloween you can do cosplay you know whatever and right. and those are all sort of safe outlets to allow you to experience that you know walk on the wild side without getting yourself in jail <laughs> <laughs> right do you think, um, you know, again, like you say, you know, you, you see them in movies, you see them in popular culture. Do you think that these legends are at some point in our future are going to disappear or do you think they're going to keep going? No, I think the shapeshifter character is going to be with us because I, as I said, I think it's sort of part of who we are. I think it's part of our dual nature. Um, the fact that we have a dual nature means that we can shift from time to time. You know, you can get into a terrible rage and be like an animal. And somebody says, oh, well, calm down, calm down. Okay, and then you do. So, I mean, that's our that's our nature. And so I think it'll be there. Uh, and it's interesting because even when you see some newer things like um, 
some of the well Star Trek, which isn't necessarily new anymore. I was just thinking about that, yeah. Yeah, but who is it? Um, Odo, right? There's a guy Odo who's a who's a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, I, I saw one film, one show where you know he uh, they had to get through a door and the door was sealed, and he just basically turned himself into liquid metal or something and slid <laughs> slid okay. under the door crack and came back on the other side and opened it up. You know, yeah. so. I mean, if we're still doing it with Star Trek and all that, and the shapeshifters are in our culture, mm-hmm. uh, walk into a, especially at Halloween, walk down the cereal aisle and see how many cereals have vampires on them, you know, right. or see how many candies have vampires or werewolves on the wrapper and our, you know, and not even at Halloween, just all time. You know? Right. So TV shows, you know, my, I have little, two little granddaughters. And one of them told me about uh, vamp- Vampirina, who I'd never heard of. I don't know if you know about it, but uh, I heard the name, but I've never seen. Yeah, it. it's a little cartoon series for little kids. Vampirina is this cute little vampire girl. Uh, her family comes from Transylvania to Pennsylvania. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they and they live a normal life, but they're you know they're vampires, but they don't ever eat anybody. They're nice vampires. And they have a ghost and you know all this stuff. Um, so that's there, and they're shapeshifters. Uh, my other granddaughter said, "Well, do you know about Morphle?" And I said, "Okay, what's Morphle?" Uh, another cartoon, and Morphle is like this little round. It's like a like a red gumball with feet and eyes, and it's it's apparently a magical pet that you get at the magical pet store. Um, and so a little girl gets Morphle, and that's her pet. And Morphle, M O R P H L. Morpho, so morphology, you know, the change, metamorphosis, right? Morpho can change into anything that the little girl asks him to change into. So every episode, you know, Morpho becomes a steam shovel or Morpho becomes a bridge or Morpho becomes a, I don't know, ham sandwich. I mean, whatever this little kid needs, Morpho. Okay. So that's shape-shifting. Transformers, that famous toy that so many kids like. Right. Those are shapeshifters. Yeah. They're mechanical, but you have a car that turns into a robot or you know. So mm-hmm. they're not going away. Yeah. They can be with us for a long time. John, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I thank you so much. It was entertaining and I can't wait for your your, your next book. I'll let you know. Let me know. We'll get you back on here. Okay. All right, thank you. How can people find you? Uh, well, best way is my website. JohnKachuba.com is my website. J-O-H-N-K-A-C-H-U-B-A.com. Uh, I got my books on there. If they can't buy, if you can't find them in the bookstore or Amazon, you can get them from my website. I have my schedule of appearances on there too, so people know where to look for me. In fact, I'll be in a place. I'll be in London, Ohio, tomorrow night at their library, giving a talk oh, there yeah. about All right. All right, sir. Well, you have a good evening. Okay. You too. Take care. We'll get you back on. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. It's always fun to have him on. And boy, it is an education. Let me get up here. It is an education. I learned stuff about like the Japanese shapeshifters I never heard of before, right? Anyway, uh, tomorrow, just make a mental note of this, guys. Tomorrow the show will be at 11 a.m. Pacific. Okay? I've got a guest coming on, and we're going to be talking about his name is David Domini. I think I got it right. And he runs tours in... Haunted old Louisville, Kentucky. That's supposed to be one of the most haunted towns in in the United States. So we're going to be talking with him about his experiences giving tours and, and the ghosts in old Louisville. So that'll be tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, thank you guys for coming tonight. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I had a blast talking to him about shapeshifters. Love it. Grew up on that stuff. Like I said, even going to Hungry... Hungry as a kid, you know, my dad was always all about Dracula, and I always was, I always was shocked because my father was Hungarian. I knew, I knew Dracula was supposed to be Hungarian, and so it always scared me as a kid, always. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. If you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube and you like the show, please hit, please hit that subscribe button. We're always looking for subscribers. And if you're watching, you know, if you happen to come across a, a TikTok. Please hit that follow button over at TikTok as well and the like button. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And I'll have John's uh, contact information for you as soon as we finish the roll here. 
If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. Excuse me. Uh, never drink water before the show. Uh, we're equal opportunity here. And uh, if you see that uh, thing flashing down the bottom, that's because we want to keep this show going on the air. We're in our third season. Real excited about that. Numbers are really strong. But the thing is, is that uh, we don't take any money to do any investigations or anything like that. And so, like everybody else, I have to pay bills. And uh, so I've got internet bills and everything else. And if you could find it in your heart to help me out with some of that stuff, I'd really appreciate it. I really would, because I want to keep this thing going. So you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo, and then type in California Haunts. Otherwise, I want to shut up now and I'll show you John's information. And then we're going to get out of here. And I will see you guys at 11 a.m. Pacific tomorrow. Website, johnkachuba.com. And there's a Shapeshifters book for you. Shapeshifters of History. And there's some more of his books. Ghost Hunting Ohio. Ghost Hunters. He's got several books out. A lot more than what I'm showing here. Ghost Hunting Illinois. Ghost Hunting Ohio. Again. The Savage Apostle. Dark Entry. Can't read that one. Too small. The other one's ghost stories. <laughs> My old eyes can't read the one. And those books are available via his website or at Amazon.com. All right, guys. Again, I will see you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific. So we can talk about old Louisville and the ghosts that roam there. Have a good night.